Good morning once again. Um, so I want to encourage you to stick around for our class this morning. Um, we have a special guest speaker that's going to join me that we've been planning this for like months and months and months. He's all the way from Abilene, Texas. His name's Charles Smith. <laughs> um, so this week I had this great idea on Tuesday. It's like, you know, we're ending this unity series. And we're going to do all together in the auditorium. I should ask Charles to come in and join us, and we can talk about unity. And I thought, well, no, that's kind of late. I'm not going to put that on him at the last minute. And so I didn't call him. And then he walked into church this morning, so I asked him. <laughs> and so, so Charles and I are going to sit down. We're going to have a conversation. Um, <clears throat> like I said, we put a lot of planning in this um, since about 8.45. Is that what time you got here? 8.50. Okay, yeah. Don't want to shortchange him there. So, um, but do stick around. We're going to kind of wrap up this unity series, and Charles is the one who wrote the series. Um, so it will be a, a great discussion. Um, over the last several weeks, we've been in this series talking about the problem of evil and trying to to walk through what God is doing about the problem of evil and how we relate to it and the the um, part of the problem that we play. And so. Um, Several weeks ago, we talked about this world that we had created. Um, and, and what we said is, we want to try to divide, and we want to try to create these dualities where there's us and them. But the problem is, the line of, e of good and evil is not between us and them. It's through the heart of each and every one of us. And out of this um, people, we created this problem because there was this world of selfishness and arrogance, corruption, wickedness, rebellion, blame, and jealousy. And we asked the problem, we asked the question, God, how do you allow this to go on? And I think God's response is, this is not the world that I created. This is the world that you have recreated. This is the world that you have made in your image. And so... God begins this new movement of people, this new tribe called Israel. And he calls this man named Abraham, and he says, you're going to go into this world, and you're going to be a blessing to this world. And so Israel is formed, and they begin this journey as the people of God to bring blessing and life into the world. But then we ran into a problem. Because the people that were called to be the solution actually became part of the problem. And Israel became selfish and arrogant and corrupt and wicked and rebellious and blaming and jealous and angry. It became their very identity. And last week, we came to this place on the cross where we find Jesus... Not necessarily dying for our sins, but because of our sins. That it's our sins, it's the world that we created that heaps sin upon Him. And so when He carries that sin, it's because of our sin, because of our wickedness, because of our rebellion, because of our blame, because of our anger that Jesus finds himself on a cross. And there, Jesus, through death, enters into death, fills death with himself, 
so that in death all we find is Christ. He somehow miraculously reaches into the grave and cleanses and redeems and restores and heals. And so if you have missed one of the weeks of the series, I want to encourage you to go online and, and check that out because um, especially the last couple of weeks, we've done a lot of really heavy theology in this series. And today I want to kind of move to the, the much more practical side of, okay, here's, here's all this theology we have. So what does this do to us? What does this do to our world? And so I want to talk for just a little bit about a basic assumption that we make and a question that that brings about. And I want to talk for just a minute about the problem of potholes. And then I want to talk about the devil and my friend Nick Lane. Then I want to tell you some good news. And then I want to talk about this ancient Hebrew word. That I think when you hear and you get to see, not not just hear and learn what it means, but get to see it, it's going to be one of those ah moments for you. Sound like a plan? So, there is this basic assumption that we make, and it's found in a question that we ask. And the question is this, how God, how can a good and loving and kind and compassionate God allow evil to continue in this world? If God is good, if God loves his creation, then how does he allow evil to persist? How does he allow it to continue on? Why doesn't he step in and put an end to it? Why doesn't he stop it? And so here's the assumption that every one of us make. That there is a problem. That the world is not right. The world is not as it should be. We we look around and we make this assumption that this is not the way it was intended to be. We see death and we see despair, we see cancer, we see divorce, we see all these issues and we say, this is not the way that it was supposed to be. Several, um, I guess last May, I'd gone out for an early morning run. It was about 6 a.m. and so it was very dark and I'm running along the the streets of my neighborhood because I live about one mile from Rose Rudman. And so most of the time I'll run through our neighborhood and get into Rose Rudman and do most of my running in the park and then can run home. And so being really close makes it easy. But I'm running through our neighborhood, and all of a sudden, my run came to an end. Because I hit a little seam in the concrete, where it was kind of eroded and it created this pothole. And when I hit the uneven place in the concrete, my ankle rolled And this was the picture when I got home after I took off my sock. My ankle was swollen, and I had about a month before I could actually run again, and I couldn't put weight on it. And, And the problem with the pothole is you never see it coming. Whether you're on a run and it's in the dark, you're just running and you have perfect ground underneath your feet and good footing... And then all of a sudden you hit this place where it's not right and it rolls and it it creates this problem. Or if you're in your car and you're driving 70 miles an hour down the interstate or down the highway, all of a sudden you come up to a pothole and you can't avoid it because you see it at that last minute and it causes this problem. 
And so there are these problems of evil where evil occurs to us. It's something outside of us. And so we get moments like Parkland a few weeks ago. We get moments like Sandy Hook. And we see the pain and we see the problem of evil. And all we can say is, I don't know, I can't define evil. But what I can say is that is not the way things were supposed to be. It is wrong. It is not right. And it leads to that question, God, where are you and what are you doing about this problem? Because of this assumption, this is not the way it was supposed to be. And it's tough. It's tough. Say, how do you define evil? Well, I'm not real sure how to define it in words, but I do know it when I see it. And so there's the evil that happens to us, but then there's also this evil that happens that we find ourselves in the middle of. And sometimes we're the cause of it. A few weeks ago, I came across an article in a newspaper. Actually, my wife did, and she showed me. And it was about a teenager, 17 years old, in Buffalo, Minnesota. And this is the conclusion of her driving test. And she's taking her driving test, and she says in the interview, they didn't reveal her name or anything, but she says she thought she had the car in reverse, and she put it in drive and hit the gas. See, here's the thing. At the conclusion of your driving test, do you need to ask the question, so did I pass? I mean, it's pretty obvious. Um, You're probably going to have to take that again in a couple of years. We, We know it when we see it. And there are these moments in our life where we're the cause of the evil, where we're the cause of the problem, and we step back. It's after the moment where our kids have been going crazy, and we kind of yell at them, or we, we spout off, and we say something to our spouse that we regret, and we go back after the moment when we're sitting there and all the carnage and all the wreckage that was caused by it, and we think, oh man, I probably didn't handle that the way that I should. It's, it's that moment when we're complaining to someone and we're, we're not doing things that give life and, and after the moment we're sitting here thinking, oh man, I should have been more grace-filled towards that person. See, and the thing is, we know it when we see it. Even when it's us, but sometimes it takes a little bit of space on the other side of it to realize, ah, oh, Man, here's where I played a problem or played a role in the problem. Here's where I could have done things a little bit differently and everything else would have been okay. Because we know it when we see it. One of the things I think you see throughout Scripture is this movement Beginning with Abraham, actually, if you want to go back to Genesis 1 and 2, this movement to the world as it should be. And in Genesis 3, it's fractured, it's broken. And then this movement of people, beginning with Abraham, is about putting things back together the way they were supposed to be. 
And you see in Romans 8, as Paul is getting to his conclusion, he's talked about sin, he's talked about death, he's talked about the law, and then he moves to this renewed creation. Creation set free from its slavery. Or in 1 Corinthians, the result from Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection is this good news that the world is going to be a new world that's untouched by death. This world that cannot decay, that cannot fall apart. Or you go to the end, to Revelation 21 and 22, in this new city. And in this new city, there's this lamb that's in the center of the city. And they don't need the light of a lamp because the lamb, the lamb in the center of the city brings light. And there's this river that's flowing out of the middle of the city that's bringing life to everyone around, which looks a lot like Ezekiel 47. This river flowing from the temple. We, we have this hunch, we have this assumption that the way things are now, is not the way they're supposed to be. And the really big question that that leaves us with is what is it, if it's not the way that it should be, if things are not as they were intended, what is it, or maybe even who is it, that pulls us in the opposite direction? If this is not the way things are supposed to be, how do we get pulled so far off course so easily? And there's a character that seems to show up, a spirit that seems to show up throughout Scripture, actually even beginning in the garden. In most of the Hebrew Scripture and even on into the New Testament, he's called the Satan, the Hasatan, and it means the accuser. And he has this role that he plays in this world where he allures and he seduces and he accuses to create this alternative world. It's that move of people eastward that we've seen throughout this series as they're pulled away from God, as they're allured away, as they're seduced away from their path to move eastward, away from the garden, away from God. In his book, The Screwtape Letters, C.S. Lewis talks about two mistakes that we make when it comes to Satan. The first is that we take Satan too seriously. That we give him too much power. That we um, ascribe him too much um, might. And the other problem is that we don't take him serious enough. That he becomes this comic book character with hooves, a tail, with a pointy end and a pitchfork and a goatee and some horns. But the question is, okay, if this Satan, if this accuser, if this liar, if this tempter, if this seducer is the one that is pulling creation in a different direction, then what do we make of it and how does he do it? So the first time we encounter the Satan, Hasatan, is in the garden. We, we find him in the garden in this tree. And there's all these trees, all this food that's given, and there's one tree, his tree, and God says, if you eat from the tree of knowledge of good and evil, if you eat that fruit, you are going to die. 
And there somehow the serpent, the Satan, tempts. He seduces. And Eve and Adam find themselves at the base of the tree eating the fruit of the knowledge of good and evil. Come on, play the game. Find out who's right and wrong. Draw some lines. Eat of the fruit. It's good for you. It'll fill you up. It'll make you feel good about yourself. It'll make you feel right. Eat. 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 Come on. It'll help you know where to draw the the right lines. It'll let you know with certainty that you're right. Eat the fruit. Come on. Play the game. Here it is. And what God promises them, if you eat of this fruit, you're going to die. And what we learn is that sin kills. But it kills in ways that we never imagined it would. And if you continue to eat the fruit of that tree... I can promise you it will poison your soul. And what we see is this pattern for mankind that's set up in the garden. Where the Satan is seducing and luring and pulling off course creation. Moving it away from its original vocation. Then we see a story of a man named Job. And in the story of Job, Job is this righteous man and God looks at him with favor. But then there is Satan and he almost appears to be this prosecutor in a royal court. As he's walking around and pointing the finger, see, have you picked on him? Have you done anything to him? If you do something to him, he's going to disown you. He's making accusation against Job. And then, amazingly enough, in this beautiful picture, you see Job sitting there with his three friends, and his three friends aren't being the friends that they should be in this moment, which should look really similar to the Garden of Gethsemane. For Jesus is there at this moment of sorrow and hurt, and the friends who are surrounding him are not being the friends they should be. Then you have this story of David, King David, and it says Satan rose up and incited David to take a census. And so David starts counting men to see how big his army is. And then you have Joshua, and it says in um, Zechariah, chapter 3. There's this moment where Satan and the angel of the Lord are standing there, and it says that this um, Satan figure stands there to accuse Joshua in his filthy rags before he's given this clean garment. And he's there, he's pointing the finger. And look how how wrong he is. Look how off base he is. Look, Look how bad he's messed it up. You want this person to serve you? Look at him. Look at these rags. And then Daniel's beasts and Daniel 7 coming up out of the ocean to devour creation. And it's described as empire. 
And they're there to kill and destroy life and to build a name for themselves. And then the last story is one you're pretty familiar with. It's Jesus just after coming out of the water. He's been baptized. The Spirit of God has hovered over him. Excuse me. And this voice called down from heaven, this is my son, I love him, I am pleased with him. And then he's led into the desert to be tempted. And there, the first temptation he gets is this temptation of, hey, take, take this, this food, take these rocks and make them bread and fill yourself. Look, look how good it would be to eat. And then the second temptation is one of a liar. Where he says, hey, all the kingdoms of the world, they're mine. And if you'll worship me, you can have them. Just bow down. And then the last temptation is about accusation. You think God takes care of you? Well, then prove it. He's accusing God. He says, throw yourself off this cliff. And if God truly loves you, if you really are his son, he's going to save you. And so you see these stories, you see this Satan, this spirit, active in the world. Seducing, tempting, luring creation off of its given path. Come on, follow me. Come on, eat this fruit. Because this fruit, I know God says you're going to die. Eat this fruit because it's going to give you life. It's going to give you comfort. It's going to give you security. Come on, Job. If you were really righteous, if you were really good, God wouldn't let this happen to you. Come on, David, how big is your army? How big of a people have you built? Joshua, you cannot serve God. Look at those filthy rags. Jesus. Just bow down. If you bow down, I will give you what is not mine to give. And we see this spirit at work in the world, seducing, luring creation away. And that spirit of Satan is anti-creation, killing it, destroying it. And he does it through death. Seducing people into sin, seducing people into evil, leading them down the path of death. The the only way to get to the end once you enter this world is death. So come, enjoy it, live in it, embrace it. There's the book of Proverbs in the first nine chapters. Talk about these two ladies. And there's one that stands out on the street corner, this harlot, as she's called, the prostitute. And she says, come, 
come on and eat, come at this table, there's life here. And then when they get to the table and they sit down, the discovery is that everyone seated at the table is dead. Come on. Isn't it amazing how easy it is to be seduced into playing Satan's game. Isn't it amazing how easily we find ourselves moving away from creation as God intended it? But here's the good news. The good news that comes on the other side of the cross. The good news that comes on the other side of resurrection. And Paul has been talking through Romans about what death does to people and what sin does and being set free. And he comes toward the end and kind of the climax of what the gospel is doing in the world. What it is, the good news. It says, for creation waits in eager expectation for the children of God to be revealed. For the creation was subjected to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it in hope that the creation itself would be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into freedom and glory of the children of God. We, we want to make it so individualized, like this is what the gospel is about. It's about setting people free, and it is, but on a bigger picture, it's not just about setting you free. The purpose of the cross, the purpose of resurrection, the purpose of evil being destroyed there is that creation is set free from its bondage. And just like all slavery in the Bible, creation is given its exodus. It finds itself in exile, separated, moving in the wrong direction. And now it's given its exodus. It's given its freedom. And that happens on this very individual level for each one of us. As we said last week, forgiveness of sins and resurrection go together. You cannot separate the two. Because to be resurrected is to be no longer held down by sin. That was the punishment for it. That was the wage of it, Paul says. And so to be resurrected means that you're set free from those sins. They go together. They have to. In the exact same way that sin and death are married, so are resurrection and forgiveness. And there's this pattern that begins to unfold, this pattern of new life, of forgiveness, of death and resurrection. Because you see Jesus on the cross in the moment where sin does its absolute worst. And sin gives Jesus all it can give him. And he dies there as they yell, crucify him. And with these outstretched arms nailed to a cross, 
He looks into the face of his accusers. And he says, Father, forgive them. And we see forgiveness and death and resurrection. In this new world that began at resurrection. This new world that began as Jesus entered into death, filled death with Himself, so that in death all we find is Christ. This pattern begins to emerge of forgiveness, death, and resurrection. So there's an ancient Hebrew word, and it's pronounced teshuva. Let me hear you say teshuva. And teshuva is really a combination of two words. The first word, shuva, means return. But on the front of the word is this word tov that means good. So teshuva is the idea of returning to what is good. Teshuva is the moment of realization that where I am heading, the path that I am on is not right. It is not good. And making the realization, this aha moment, like, ah, this is not giving life to me. This is not giving life to the people around me and returning to the path as it was intended to be. It is to return to the good of creation, the return to the good that you were intended to be a part of, and returning to the new creation that God is bringing forth through His creation. In our New Testament, the word is translated repent. And the word in Greek is metanoeo. Metanoeo means to repent, it means to return. But understand that Jesus comes out and he starts beginning his message in his ministry. Repent. The kingdom of God is near. Repent and be baptized and find new life. Repent, return to the good and find life. Leave death behind you. See, understand that Jesus is a Jewish rabbi. And that word that's translated metanoeo, in Jesus' mind is probably teshuvah. In Psalms, David says this, Teshuva. You go to that Psalm 34. Turn from evil and do good. And that's that idea of Teshuva. Turn to, from evil and do good. Seek peace and pursue it. Be a part of this new world. Be a part of this new kingdom. And so you get to Acts in this early church that's born on a day called Pentecost. And Peter is preaching this message. And think about his sermon. Like we're, I mean, we're Church of Christ. So we, we, like we know like 38, like 39, 40. We know those verses. But the beginning of it 
He begins talking about God's plan and how God has begun this new movement of people that's going to bless the earth and create this new world here in the midst of this old one. And he starts referring to all these passages from Psalms and Isaiah. And he gets to this point and he says, Now listen, you are a part of the problem. You who were called to be the solution have lost your course. And in fact, God sent the Messiah and you put him on a tree. And then Peter says, now repent. Every one of you and be baptized and receive forgiveness for your sins and the gift of the Holy Spirit and have new life. I understand you're moving eastward. You're moving away from God. You're going in the wrong direction. And maybe you didn't realize it. Maybe it's the picture of the car in the window. Like, oh. I, wait a minute. I'm responsible for creating that I need to teshuva. And I need to return to the good that I was intended to be a part of. I need to teshuva and go back and be a part of giving life to God's creation. So that's where, at that moment, where Peter says, come, be baptized, wash away your sins, and you're going to enter this new life. You're going to be resurrected, and those two are so tied together. There's going to be this new life in you, this new spirit that's going to speak life, not just into you, but into this world. And you are going to give hope to everyone who sees you. Come, return. Return to the good that you were intended and be a part. See, here's the crazy thing. Is God's new world, his new creation, is not dependent on you. But nevertheless, you are invited to be a creator of it. Because through God's spirit, it will flow through you into this world and give hope I don't know about you, but that is good news. That God is redeeming the world and you are invited to be a part of it. The very people who were a part of the problem to begin with are invited to again be the solution. Abraham, you've kind of lost your way. Return. Return and be a part of what I'm doing. Joshua, you've kind of lost your way. Return and be a part. David, you've lost your way. Return and be a part of what I'm doing. Paul, as passionate as you are, you've lost your way. Come join me. Be a part of what I'm doing. Repent. Turn. Come back to the good vocation that you were given from the beginning and find new life. Father, today, it is our hope, it is our prayer that in your resurrection, 
we find forgiveness, we find new life, we find the Spirit of God who raised Jesus from the dead dwelling inside of us, empowering us, opening us up, and freeing us to live as the people you intended us to be. To be clothed in your Spirit and made into a new creation. Father, today, help us open our eyes to see it. And Father, for each of us, help open our eyes to the ways that we contribute to the problem. Give us those aha moments of when we see that we are a part of the problem. That, Father, we may teshuva and come back to you. Father, we pray that you would give us life and we hope completely and fully in the name of Jesus, our Lord and Savior. Amen. If we could help you this morning in any way, we invite you to come Give your life to Christ. Be washed and made new into a new creation. Um, If we could pray for you, we would love to do that as well. We'll have ministry staff and shepherds around the auditorium, but come, whatever you need, while we stand and sing.